0: So, um, I, I would say my computer just froze. I am, uh, I'm generally a pretty uh, obsessed person. I, I like what I like, and I like those things a lot. And uh, some of the things that I, I'm into are pretty weird. Uh, most people wouldn't probably think of doing that. So, like for example, one of the things that I, I really am into is collecting guitar picks. Now, I know that that sounds like a really weird thing to be into, but I I like them. And if uh, if if you ever come up on stage and look at my stand, you'll see that there's like seven different picks, different lengths, different things, and they're all for different purposes. And, and I've collected a lot of them. In fact, one time my wife came to me and said, "Caleb, is this is this true that you spent fifty dollars from one company buying guitar picks?" Now that that may not sound like a lot, but with, when it comes to guitar picks, fifty dollars is like what? They're no, normally they're like a normally you spend like three bucks and get twenty of them. So I, I like them, and, and sometimes I could get carried away in my collecting of them. Uh, and uh, sometimes that's not good, right? Especially when it, when it takes my eyes off of the Lord. Doesn't happen too much with guitar picks, though. But I will say this. There are people that I have met that have been carried away by lots of things, lots of things that are not good, uh, things that actually do take them away from the Lord. And the Bible's very clear that when you get carried away with something, that is because of foolishness. That's not because of wisdom. Wise people do not get carried away. Wise people remain faithful. And primarily they remain faithful to the word. They remain faithful to the Lord and remain faithful to his will. So this morning, as we continue in our study in the book of Proverbs, we're going to be in Proverbs 20. Lord willing, we will cover the first seven verses of Proverbs 20. And we are going to look at the fool, as he gets carried away, in the first four verses of this of this passage. So verses 1 through 4, Proverbs 20, we're going to see the fool that gets carried away because of his foolishness. And then in verses 5 through 7, we're going to see the wise, and they remain faithful. And we're going to see some of the things that the wise people do that that keep them faithful. And so this morning, I want to encourage us to not get carried away. To not be carried away, but to remain faithful. Faithful to the Lord, faithful to his word, faithful to what he's called us to do as Christians. So let's first look at this problem of the fools that get carried away. And just notice verse 1. It says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it, is not wise. Now this is an interesting proverb because it puts wine and then when it says strong drink probably better translated beer, right? So so it has wine and beer as people, right? And and it and it points to the negative consequences of overindulging these things, right? So when you overindulge Wine, you become a mocker. When you overindulge in beer, you become a brawler. We will discuss this issue in greater detail in, in a passage coming up uh, that, that will deal with this subject. But let me just say a couple things first of all. Yeah, I don't think the Bible anywhere prohibits the believer from consumption of alcohol. The consumption of alcohol does not seem to be wrong. The Bible does say when you consume too much alcohol, that is a sin. We also have to realize this too, that wine back in the day and beer back in the day are quite different than some of the alcoholic drinks that are today. The alcoholic content in some of the drinks today are off the charts compared to the drinks back then. And so a lot of times wine would have been mixed with water, beer would have been mixed with water, it would have been part of the everyday drinking, right? And you would have had to really try really hard to become intoxicated, whereas some of the drinks today are created for the sole purpose to take one sip and you're intoxicated. So let's just just call it what it is. The consumption of alcohol is not sinful. I don't know of a single passage that speaks that. But the overconsumption is sinful, and today we don't need to drink alcohol to survive, because there's plenty of other things to drink, okay? So I don't want to condemn it, but I don't also want to encourage it either. And one of the reasons that, that I don't want to encourage it is because a passage like this, that... There is something about alcoholic beverages that seem to be an, attract people. And when you overindulge, notice what happens. Uh, wine is a mocker or a scoffer or a fool. And so when you overindulge in wine and become drunk, you yourself start acting like a scoffer. When you drink beer or strong drink or really any alcohol or any substance that will cause you to be inebriated, Let's let's just say that. Any substance that would cause you to be inebriated. What's what's one of the effects? Brawling and fighting. Obviously, as people who want to be wise and want to follow the Lord, we want to be sober-minded. We want to be clear-minded. We want to make right decisions. This stuff clouds our judgment and causes us to become somebody that is fully given to the flesh. That is not how a believer should act, right? In fact, even the Apostle Paul compares the drunkenness of of somebody and walking by the Spirit. So just go with me to the book of Ephesians. Just notice what he says here in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 no, notice just just we'll just start in verse fifteen. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Right? So so walk in a way that's wise, walk in a way that's wisdom, walk in a way that, that's pleasing to the Lord, walk in a way where you're making good decisions based off of God's word, based off of the Holy Spirit, right? And it says, Make making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, right? So we can understand what God's asking us to do. We can understand what, he's, what 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 he expects for us in our life. And it is clear that there is one thing that could cloud that judgment. Notice what he says next. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So notice that this drunkenness is this complete recklessness. It's that acting like a scoffer. It's like acting like a brawler. It's this clouding one's judgment and turning someone into something that they're not, or fully giving themselves to the flesh, right? They're carried away. And he says, but be filled with the Spirit. So as believers, it's very clear that this is opposite of what we as believers should be doing. There should never be a time in where a believer is known as somebody who is constantly, deliberately inebriated, right? That is not walking by the Spirit. That's not walking by wisdom. Walking by the Spirit and walking by wisdom is is, is yielding oneself to the Spirit, allowing the fruit of the Spirit to come out, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Right? And, and, and so the, the idea is, if I get drunk with wine, that's debauchery If I get filled with the Spirit, notice what, notice what the consequence is. It's then addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I, I don't know how many times you've been around drunk people. I don't know. I, all the ones I've ever been around i have never walked away going, wow, that was a really edifying conversation that I've had. And they really encouraged me to live for the Lord and they sang a lot of really spiritual, quoted a lot of spiritual songs to me. That was a great, great spiritual time. No, nor, normally it's, it's not that. It's the opposite of that, right? And then notice what it says. It says, giving thanks always for everything to the Lord your Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Submitting one another out of reverence for Christ Right? So so there's this there's this thing that happens when we submit to the Spirit. This is what God wants from us. He does not want us to get wine. He does not want us to get drunk with wine. And so here in, in Proverbs 1, or 21, or chapter 20, verse 1, it says, wine is a mocker and, and strong drink is a brawler. This is the this is what happens when someone overindulges in these things. And then notice what he says. He says, Whoever is led astray by it is not wine. This word for led astray, it's kind of an interesting word. It, it has the idea of staggering, right? So, so it has the idea of somebody staggering away, which is what happens when you overindulge in alcohol, right? You stagger. And so the idea is one staggers away. So the one who is constantly staggered by it, one who's constantly under the influence of their friend's alcohol They are led astray, they walk away, they stagger away, and and this demonstrates that they're not wise, right? They're being carried away by the substance. Like I said, as believers, we need to have clear minds, we need to be sober-minded. We should not be easily carried away by things, by substances, right? Right? It's, it's, it's something that's really bad in our culture of people that have substance abuse that change who they are and they're carried away. That's not a sign of wisdom. That's a sign of foolishness. By the way, I only know of one way to break that. That's the Lord Jesus Christ and that's the work of the Holy Spirit on someone's heart. And it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that breaks that grip that some of those substances have on people. It's a terrible thing. But this is something that, this is something that wise people, are not, they do not do. They are not carried away by these things, and there's no substance abuse. Now, notice the next thing found in verse 2. In verse 2, notice what it says. It says, the terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. So the sense is is that when a king is angry, it is like a growling lion. Now, I I don't know how many of you have ever been around a growling lion after it's killing something or it's done killing something or while it's eating. Uh, I I haven't. Uh, I've been around other wild animals, other predators, while they're eating stuff. And when they make these howls and these growls, it's pretty scary when one of those predators do that, let alone a lion. And, and the idea here of a lion growling, it, that that is, when a lion growls, that is something that, that sends chills down your back. It, it's, it's warning of this impending judgment that's happening. It, it, it lets you know you are now in a serious situation. You are in a very serious, seriously dangerous situation. I'm from Wyoming, so the closest thing that I've ever come to that was that, that I could say would be like this, would be like a rattlesnake. The moment you hear those rattles, everything in your body just turns cold. You sweat, and, and you go... This, this is a bad situation. And you waste all of your ammo shooting at the ground, not even knowing where that danger is, because rattlesnakes are scary. So the, the idea here, though, is when a king is angry... That's dangerous, right? When a powerful government official is angry, that is a dangerous thing. Notice the next statement. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. So imagine going to the zoo, seeing an angry lion, and then going, you know what will help him? I'm going to go in with a sharp stick, and I'm going to poke him repeatedly. That'll make him feel better, right? That's, that's, the, that's the idea. You see an angry lion and you go, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. So the idea is if you go and then provoke a king to anger, basically here the, the ESV says you, you forfeit your life. It's probably better that, you've, that you're sinning against your life. This is, a, this is a sin against you because of what will happen. Now, it's my opinion here that when you provoke a king to anger, this is really nothing against the, like an angry, foolish king, like be careful of an angry, foolish king. This speaks more of people who are easily carried away to go out of their way to provoke a king, to do something that's criminal, to do something that's rebellious. That seems to be what, what this fool is doing here. He's doing something that's rebellious. He's doing something that is criminal. Once again, as believers, we are given numerous commands in the New Testament to not be rebellious, to not be criminals, right? So I want to point out three texts. Go with me first to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13 I know these past two years, we've had to think a lot about these next three passages and think about how the Lord would ask us to act in light of these passages, in light of some of the things that have happened. And notice what Romans 13, just starting in verse 1, notice what he says. He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that... I lost my place here. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Now, what's striking to me is that when this is, when Paul's writing this, this is around the time of Nero. And I don't know about you, but... Nero was a pretty bad dude. He was maybe one of the most tyrannical kings that ever existed. He was incredibly cruel towards believers. It's under this regime that Paul then writes to Roman Christians in Rome, close to Nero, to say, be in subject. Now, as we've said before, There are times where the government may ask us to do something that clearly violates God's word. And I guarantee you this, when they ask us to do such a thing, we will all immediately know that is 100% wrong and they have no place to tell us that. So for example, they tell us to stop preaching the gospel. Ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. Sorry. We We ain't fudging there. So here, here the idea, though, is as much as possible, God wants us to be good citizens, so we should be obedient as much as possible. And we should pay taxes. We should be model citizens. Now, this isn't the only place. Go with me to Titus. Titus chapter 3. Just notice in verse 1. says, remind them. So this is Paul telling Titus, who's a pastor and starting a church in Crete, telling these these young believers in Crete, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrels, to be gentle, to show perfect court courtesy towards all people. Remember? Part of being a member of the church means that we are good citizens. This is what God's called us to do. We're not in trouble. We're not the ones causing rebellions, right? Right? there's another one go with me to first Peter once again first Peter is an interesting book especially when you know the backdrop first Peter chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 here Peter is writing to a group of believers who are being persecuted by the government for being Christians notice what he says first Peter 2 13 be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Now, once again, this is not saying that we stop believing the Bible. This, this doesn't mean that we stop preaching the gospel, right? If they ask us to stop preaching the gospel, we say we can't swim in that pool, right? That isn't going to happen. This is saying that we are as obedient as we possibly can be, right? That we, our first response is, let us be obedient, right? That seems to be the sense, and notice what he says. He says, Rather, whether it be to an emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God Honor the emperor. As believers, we're called to be good citizens, right? Back here in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 2, when I look at this, I see this fool provoking. This is a, this is a fool who willfully is doing criminal acts. This is a fool who is being rebellious. This is a fool who is who's doing stuff that is not good. Not good. But he does it because he thinks it's wise. The fool thinks he's doing something good, but he's not. He's actually sinning against himself. He's putting himself in a position to cause the government to use that sword that God has given them. This is not wisdom. This is not the wisdom that God would have for us as believers. By the way, it is incredibly easy, incredibly easy, especially as Americans, to get upset at the government, get all riled up and say, let's go grab our pitchforks, right? Right? That is an easy thing to do, an easy thing to say, an easy thing to rally behind. But as believers, we should be known as people who love, people of peace. We need to be known as people who are good citizens. Now, there's another way that people can get carried away. Notice in verse 3. Notice what he says. He says, it is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. There may be a connection here between this verse and the verse that said right above about somebody who's part of a rebellion. It's kind of like, look, it's kind of a good thing to stay out of rebellion. But it's an honor to a man to keep aloof from strife. But every fool will be quarreling. So notice this. It's kind of an interesting thing here. One commentator said this. It's an honor for a man not to defend his honor. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? It's an honor to a guy to say, you know what, I don't want to fight. I, 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 I'm going to be able to control myself and act like Christ acted, right? If anyone was ever innocent and was, could have fought the legal system and, and, and said, how dare you do this to me if you only know who I am, that could have been Jesus when he was in his kangaroo court the last week of his life. But he didn't do that, right? He didn't do that. He was silent. In fact, he was so silent that everybody was kind of amazed, saying, are you not going to stand up and defend yourself? And then, even as he's hanging on the cross, what was, his, what was one of the statements he made? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus condemned somebody who tried to defend him with his life, saying, put away your sword. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword, right? So it's an honor to a man to keep away from strife. Now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand Paul, uh, Sol, uh, Solomon here. This is not saying that there is no such thing as a fight. There are times where there are fights and there are strifes. And those things will happen. He's not saying that there's going to be a time in which there's not going to be a fight and you're going to have to stand up. We see the Apostle Paul standing up. Fighting legally, right, for his, for, from the basis of, of Roman law. So it's not saying that there isn't a time for a fight. What he's saying is it's an honor to not rush into a battle. That a person who stays away from fights as much as possible is a person who has great honor and is a person who is wise. What does Paul say in Romans? If, if possible, be at peace with all men. As believers, that's what we should strive for. Now, i got to be honest with you. I am a very passionate person. I, I love college football. When you're passionate and you love college football, you get into fights. It's just a thing. You do it. They're not, wa- they're not worth fighting. Sometimes it's just fun to goof around with friends and rib friends. But sometimes you get really angry. I remember one time, I, so I'm a Wyoming Cowboys fan, not a huge fan of Boise State because they always beat us. And I remember one time I was talking to a believer and I was telling, we were talking about college football. He was a Boise State fan. And I said to him, I can't stand Boise State or anybody that roots for him. And the look on his face was like, I just destroyed him. It's not worth it, right? I mean, you can rib somebody. That's okay. But, but th- this is talking about going to fisticuffs. And, and it's an honor to a person to avoid strife to avoid fights, to avoid arguments, to avoid disputes. The, the word here for, for strife could also be for lawsuits, to avoid lawsuits, to avoid all of that. Remember remember, Paul as he's talking to one of the churches, and they were taking each other to court. Remember what Paul's response was? Wouldn't it be better to be violated? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better to just not go to court? Let, let somebody take advantage of you? Wouldn't that be better for the sake of the gospel and your testimony? Wouldn't that be a better thing? But see, it's easy to get carried up in this. How dare you do something against me? A a wise person steps back and has humility, has discernment, has self-control, right? Is walking by the power of the Spirit. He has love, joy, peace, patience. Can step back, take a deep breath and say, you know what? I don't have to fight every fight. I don't have to get involved. But notice notice what it says. It says, but every fool will be quarreling. That's a great way of putting it, isn't it? Every fool, doesn't matter, he's going to fight. And, and it's not just one fight. And it's not just a one fight and then he's done. He's constantly in the state of quarreling. It's easy, it's easy to do, right? Notice the next thing that's easy to do. It's kind of one of these things that we can get carried away into. Notice verse 4, it says, The slugger does not plow in the autumn, but he he will seek at harvest and have nothing. So here you have this laziness. Once again, we as believers are not called to laziness. Paul says to to the church in Thessalonica, If you do not work, you do not eat. And that the church should not be uh, a place where we just hand out food to people who are not willing to work right that, that's what he says the, the, the idea is that people should be willing to work now I understand that there might be some circumstances where people physically cannot work but as I tell my kids if you can hold a sign that says I'm hungry feed me you can also hold a one of those spinner signs that says go to this company and spend some money here that's a job now you could do that if you could do that you could do that so here the idea is the same right Here's this sluggard. He's not willing to put in the work. So in in Israel, they they start their planting and their plowing uh, in in autumn. Not a comfortable time to do it. It's cold. It's wet. It's rainy. Maybe the sluggard uses this as an excuse. I'm not going outside today. It's raining. Maybe he does that. But what is clear is that when when it comes time for harvest, he's going to go out. and, And I don't think that he goes out to the field that he doesn't plow. He might be stupid. He might, he might not plant, plow a field and not plant anything and then go out and go, where's all the crops? He might be that brain dead. It's more likely that he's going to go out to other people who have planted, other people who have done work, and seek for their stuff. And guess what? He's not going to get anything. He's going to starve. That's what a fool does. One thing that I have learned uh, about lazy people and laziness is once you start to get lazy bones, they start to grow mold, right? Lazy bones are hard to get back into work, right? So the moment you start laziness, it continues and grows and grows and grows. This is something that is easy to be carried away with. Last week when we talked about the sluggard and slothfulness. We also talked about spiritual sluggardness, right? Not putting in the work spiritually, not spending time in God's Word, not spending time in prayer. I, the, the principle is true for that as well. People assume I, I don't have to spend time with the Lord. I don't have to spend time with the Lord. And guess what? When things are bad, then they start looking around saying, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And there's not a lot that people can do around you because things are really bad. You let things go, and things are really bad. So, so these, are, these are cases of, of people being carried away, and all of these cases are cases of fools who are not walking by the power of the Spirit. These are, not, these are cases when a believer is acting fleshly, right? Now, Solomon puts in this interesting phrase as he begins to, to turn the subject towards, okay, so here's what the, the foolish person does. Now now let's look at what the wise person does as the wise person remains faithful. And, and notice the next verse. He says this. He says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So we've already seen this phrase, by the way, the purpose in a man's heart. We've seen that phrase. It talks about his plans, his purpose, his goals what he wants to do, where he's going in life, right? And we've also seen this phrase, deep water, right? Remember, we talked about this deep water as it's kind of like a, it's it's an image of one, it's deep and you can't see the bottom. And so there's stuff down there that you don't know. You don't know what's down there, right? So if you're going swimming in deep water, you don't know what's down there. So that could be scary, right? I don't know what's down there. It could speak to complexity. I don't know what's down there. I, 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 there's a lot of stuff down there, right? There's a lot of stuff that's happened on, on the bottom of, of the swimming hole that I don't know about. And so the idea is, as men plan, j- just any person, as, as people plan, and as people do things, and as people have goals, those plans and goals and the way they, they communicate those and the way that they, they, they enact those, is mysterious, sometimes it's dangerous, right? Sometimes they're, they're trying to hurt you, but there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of things you don't see, right? And so sometimes, sometimes when people do something that you think, well, they, they did that to hurt me, you don't know, <laughs> right? Uh, this happens to me while I'm driving all the time. Somebody cuts me off on the road, and I go, how dare they do that to me? Do they know who I am? Do they know what is in my car? You know what? Nine times out of ten, they probably didn't even see me. Right? They had no idea. They had no idea. <laughs> they were just being negligent, right? They, did, they, they, weren't, they, did, they weren't sitting at the stoplight going, Oh, there's Caleb. I know what will get him. I'm going to chart out in front of him. Right? I don't know. Sometimes people do things that are nice. And you go, Well, that's really nice. But they have an ulterior motive. Right? That happens. I don't know. We don't know. But, but notice what he does say next. He says, but a man of understanding will draw it out. A man of discernment will be able to draw this out. Basically meaning this, that, that there are people who are wise. And as people do things and as people plan and as people live their lives, there are people, wise people, should have discernment. And they should be able to discern whether that action was malicious, whether that action is good whether that's a good thing, a bad thing, is this person a good person or a bad person, right? The idea is is that there needs to be discernment as dealing with these people. Lots of people have lots of complex reactions and actions. How do I figure all of that out? I figure that out with discernment. Now, the question is, how do we get discernment? We talked about this. It's very clear at the beginning of the book. We start from a place of, I don't know, But God knows. God is the source of wisdom. I need to spend time with God. There needs to be serious effort in prayer. God, help me. Help me. I don't know. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. There needs to be time in the word so that even before I even get to a situation where I have to use discernment, I already have lots of time in the word studying, praying, thinking through these things. And then when I meet somebody... What's the principle? Listen before you speak. And then you repeat the process over and over and over and over again. And it takes a long time. But there needs to be discernment. And I guarantee you this. Someone who has the word of God, someone who is a believer, placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, trusting solely in the personal work of Jesus Christ, will have the indwelling Holy Spirit, has the scriptures, and if they pray to God for wisdom, he will give them wisdom, and with that will come discernment. And if you have discernment, guess what? You will be okay. That's how the Lord works, and you will be able to navigate through difficult situations and difficult people and complex situations. So how does a wise person remain faithful to the Lord? Because he has discernment. He's not flying off the handle, quickly adopting something or quickly saying against something. He's not just in the moment. He's one who has discernment. Now, Solomon will give us an example, I think, of what he means here. Because notice the next verse. He says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man, who can find him? You get it? The idea is everyone will tell you, I love I love people, I love you, I love God, I love, I love, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I love, I love, I love, I love. I've heard a lot of people say, I love you, for a lot of different reasons, right? Complex reasons. How do you figure out whether it's a true love or not? How do you know if they're just saying, I love you, just to get something from you? How do you know they're not saying, I love God, simply just to win you over, to to sell you something? Discernment. And notice how this discernment comes out. He says, but a faithful man who can find. One, this means that there's probably not as many as we would think. Right? There's not as many lovers as we would think. Also means that there's probably a lot of people who are ready to proclaim their love to whatever, but they're not really dependable, faithful, loving people. There's probably very few people that love. There's probably very few people that are faithful and remain faithful. And I think that what Solomon is saying to to us is, one, that we should have discernment when we're talking to people. Two, if we find a a loving, dependable person that loves the Lord and loves his people, that, that we should be around that person and not the person that is so quick to flatter us. It speaks of the fact that we as believers... Should probably not be so quick to yell out our love, but we should be quick to show our love, right? There's a huge difference, right? To love God in deed and to love God in action, to love others in word and to love God or love others in action. So a, a wise person does this, right? A wise person loves. By the way, once again, we have to go back to the only reason that you and I can truly love is because God has shown us his love. The only reason that you and I can love is because the Holy Spirit, that's what he's producing, is love. Now there's one other thing. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Now, I want to say first, this is not necessarily a promise, meaning that if you're godly, this is a promise that your children will turn out godly. Nor is this a promise that if your parents are Wicked, that all the kids will turn out wicked, right? This is a principle, and the principle is this. If I'm walking with the Lord, I'm spending time in his word, I'm praying, I'm involved with people's lives, right? I'm I'm edifying others. I'm using my spiritual gifts. I'm, I'm eager to do good works. I'm eager to teach my children the way of the Lord and to model that in front of them as I'm teaching them. The principle is that they will learn those things and that they are on a really good path. They're going to start off on a really good path. So a person that walks in integrity, he's not walking in integrity because his kids will then walk in that. He's walking in integrity because he loves God. He's walking in integrity because that's the right thing to do. And the consequence of that may be that his children start off on the right path and they'll follow. That's far superior. It's far superior for children to grow up in a household with godly parents who are walking in integrity, teaching their children godly truths, than the alternative. And so here, for us who are parents, and for those who are grandparents, and those who are praying for us who are parents and grandparents, the advice would be walk in integrity. Walk righteously. Walk with the Lord. Fear God and fear him openly. Do not be ashamed to tell your children or your grandchildren to follow the Lord. But you must model it in front of them. And it is that teaching and that modeling and that love and that righteousness which will hopefully, by God's grace, influence them. Right, And then they will walk in a way that's right with the Lord, and if we as parents are raising our kids in a way that is in the admonitions of the Lord, we're walking in integrity, we're excited about spiritual things, we're excited to go to church, we're excited to serve the Lord, we're excited about the Bible, we're excited about these things, guess what? Children will learn and catch that excitement as well, and they will be in a really healthy place moving forward from that place when they leave our place, leave our house. This is not a guarantee that if, just because Krista and I are Christians, that our kids will be Christians. I pray that they become Christians, but they're not Christians by osmosis. They're not Christians because they walk in the door here. No, that is something, that is a sovereign work of God that happens in their heart. But what it does mean is that if we teach them the right things and we model righteousness that will give them a healthy, nurturing place to grow up in, and they'll start off on a good foot, and they will hear the gospel constantly, and they will have parents that love them and pray for them on a constant basis, and that is a humongous blessing for any child. So notice there's this steadfastness about that righteous person. He continually walks. There's this consistency. So on the one hand, you see the the fool gets carried away by all these things, when when the fool is living fleshly, he's carried away by all these things. Doesn't matter what the substance is. Doesn't matter what the fight is. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to do my job. Whatever. He gets carried away by the emotions. He gets carried away by the flesh, and it ends terribly. The wise, on the other hand, who are focusing on God's word, focusing on His character, who are focusing on Christ, there's this steadfastness, right? There's a steadfastness to them. There's this, there's this remainability about them, right? That's even a word. It is now. Um, there's, this, there's this ability to stand, right? They're like a tree. They're like an oak. They stand. Why? Because they have discernment. Why? Because they're faithful, and they love God, and they love others. Why? Because they continually and consistently walk by the Spirit. There's that steadfastness. As believers, we should desire to be the latter, right? Those who are wise, those who walk in wisdom, those who walk by the power of the Spirit, and not be like the fool who is given to the flesh and easily is carried away. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability that we do, that we, uh, to do what we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray.